Hi everybody, welcome back. Um, and thanks for coming back, really appreciate it. Um, it's Friday, it's near the end of February. Um, it's been a miserable time, very, very wet. We are, you know, the British, we love to talk about the weather. And it's been grim, grim, grim weather. Just endless weather, wet weather. Um, that's a strange statement, endless weather. There's always weather, isn't there? But it's just kind of, whether it's dramatic or um, or benign. And what we what we like to see is a bit of sunshine and um, a bit of peace and quiet. Yeah, but um, sadly not. It's been pretty miserable. And it's been a quite a busy week, really. Um, a few nice gigs and bits and bobs of stuff. Um had a nice gig last night with some um, a couple of people I've um, played with for a long time on and off and somebody uh, never met before it was a really nice vibe the guy I was playing with the sax player it had a lot of mutual friends which was nice to sort of chat about that and it's a funny thing about the jazz scene you know which is a scene that I'm sort of mainly involved with is that you know um the UK is not a massive place um, and the scene itself is not a huge scene you know the, the sort of um, what I would sort of class as, as good players and you know players that are doing um, sort of doing the rounds and doing the business and uh, and uh, involved in good projects with good players um, I tend to gravitate towards each other you know so you end up playing with people uh, a lot of the time, sometimes maybe once or just twice or three times, but you have a lot of mutual friends. Um, and uh, it's always nice to have those sort of conversations and sort of helps, I think helps people feel like they're sort of connecting a bit with each other. Um, and, you know, I always do, if I'm playing with somebody I don't know, I always do a little bit of research before the, um, before the gig, just, you know, just have a little listen to... Listen to like if they've got an album out or something. A lot of the gigs I do with people like this, we're not playing their album music because it's a it's a gig where they're a guest. You know, they're 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 a good player and they're coming to guest and um, they've probably already toured with their own band and and done the rounds. And probably not done the same venues, but they've done other venues in the area with their own group. And then they'll they'll come in and come and play with a rhythm section that's from the kind of um, region um, the gig i was doing yesterday I, I certainly am not local to the venue and neither was the uh, well none of us were local but they, they tend to use on this one gig they tend to use rhythm sections from uh, the manchester area um, a lot of good players around manchester a lot of good jazz players so you know you end up kind of um, coming together and doing these nice little gigs and that was yesterday um, been buying a lot of symbols recently. I've been going through a bit of a period of um, investing a little bit in in my sort of collection. Uh, my collection got a bit light at one point. I, I go through these things where I'll own uh, a large number of um, like. At one time, I had thirteen or fourteen snare drums, which for some people is actually not a lot. There's a lot of people I know who they're real collectors you know and they use snare drums for specific gigs and stuff and, and that really isn't me at all i um i tend to use 
really the same snare drum for everything. I have this Krabby Otto. I was very lucky to get this Krabby Otto uh, custom shop snare, which um, is a, a beautiful drum. Um, I was very, very lucky years and years ago that I used to have a, I used to have a, a deal, a relationship, an endorsement with, uh, with the distributor for Istanbul in the UK. Um, so I was never an endorser of Istanbul. I was, uh, I had a, I had a, a sort of an arrangement, a, um, a uh, relationship with the distributor, and it was, a, it was a good relationship. It lasted a long time. Um, and uh, that distributor was also involved uh, at the time, and probably still is actually, I don't know now, but uh, with Krabby Otto. So I was offered um, one of the custom shop, he had a load of custom shop snares in, uh, and I was offered a choice of, of any one of them um, on, the, on the day I was going up to, to buy some cymbals. So it was like one of those, it was one of those sort of deals, you know, it was like they were all going out to... They're all going out, for, you know, from uh, wholesale to to through trade to retail, and uh, I was made an offer to um, to acquire one of these drums through the distributor, just as a um, you know, as a sort of gesture of goodwill and what have you. It wasn't obviously it wasn't free; <laughs> it was far from free, but it was uh, it was you know it was a it was a nice price, um, and. I that drum. I mean, I once I bought that drum, it was just I realised very quickly that it sort of did everything. Um, when I first bought it, I, I was doing this gig uh, with a big band, and it was a uh, like a functiony uh, sort of reading gig with a singer. This guy had a pad, and it was a very very good band. Um, it was one of those sort of rock up and read, as I, as they call them, um, and it was. It was in this. Uh, it was quite a big event. It was like a charity event, and there was um, lots of other things going on. And we were PA'd up, you know. And we were like, we weren't a house band, but we were sort of the situ band. We ended up having to set up first and get all, you know, kind of sound checked, and then and then there was loads of other stuff going on around our setup. And remember, at the end of the night, the sound engineer uh, at the time, I hadn't even literally hadn't spoken to him for the entire um, evening. But right at the end of the night, he came over, he was putting the mics away, and he just said to me, he said, that's the best snare drum I've ever heard. And I was I was like, yeah, 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 I've just bought it. It's like this, and it's really like, um, I said, it's like amazing. And he'd really clocked it, just from a kind of the perspective of someone who's a, you know, a front of house engineer who'd mic'd up probably thousands of snare drums. It just, something about this drum had really kind of struck him and we hadn't even had a conversation about it he just took the time to come up at the end and sort of say to me it was um the best snare drum he'd ever heard it was like and he was kind of going it absolutely amazing really interesting very dynamic and all that and the thing about the Krabby Otto which is uh I was I was kind of already set up for this when I bought it because a few years previous to that um I was thinking about buying a new drum kit and a new snare drum. And what was offered to me at the time through uh, my good friends at Johnny Roadhouse Music, um, where I was today actually buying a cymbal, which was another cymbal that I bought. Yes, the disease continues, the addiction continues. 
Um, but anyway, they had in a Gretsch New Classic and a Craviotto, what they call the the limited snare drum. It was a nice drum. It was a very nice drum. And they very kindly, they just said, um, Johnny uh, Roadhouse Jr. at the time, he just said, borrow the kit, do a, do a gig, bring it back next week, you know. And uh, so I sort of rocked my car up out the front of the shop and, um, yeah, basically took the kit, the cases, you know, and uh, the snare drum and went and did a gig that night. And uh, I really liked the kit. I didn't buy it in the end. I bought some. I bought this Premier thing in the end. Uh, it was a very nice Gen X kit, but I've had for quite a long time. But the snare drum was interesting because I, I, on the gig I was finding it really challenging because it was so good. Now that might sound ridiculous, but what I mean by that is is that the sound of the drum, the the volume of it, the uh, the ability to get sound out of this instrument. Because it's an instrument, you know, in itself. The drum kit's obviously an instrument, but the, the drum kit is comprised, and we often forget this, of many instruments. You know, a bass drum's an instrument, a ride cymbal is an instrument, a hi-hat is an instrument, the tom-toms, you know, floor tom and a rack tom, you know, whatever. They're all instruments in their own right, and they come together to to sound like an instrument. And, and, you know, often the thing of when drummers don't sound like they've got stuff together, people often say it doesn't sound like an instrument. It sounds like a collection of different loud things that aren't particularly cohesive, you know. Um, and my, you know, my aim is always to make the drum kit sound like one thing. And it isn't, is it? Really, ultimately, it's a collection of instruments, very, very different instruments that all have different surfaces and rebounds and sound world and blah, 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 you know, and they're all a challenge to play. And we, 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 you know, we kind of spend our time getting our technique together in order to be able to play fluidly between all these different surfaces and all these different sounds. Um, but I was really struggling with this snare drum. It was, it was loud. It was um, something that I found a bit disconcerting. So anyway, I didn't buy the drum. Um, in fact, I should have bought the drum. Actually, it was it would have, I, I could have had it alongside the the other one that I bought. Uh, it would have been a nice addition to the collection, so to speak. But uh, never did, and that's fine. But when I when I went to play these when I was playing these Craviottos, when I was offered this custom shop, one of the custom shop snares, I was already in that mindset of realizing that if I made this commitment to buying this drum, I was effectively going to have to relearn to play the snare drum and relearn to comp uh, and it and and that's actually what happened and, and it was really good for my playing because I went back to practicing comp and I went back to practicing snare drum exercises and things and at the time this is quite a long time ago and it's something I've the snare drum exercises specifically I've fallen out of practice with um, which I've kind of noticed in the last couple of years uh, a sort of lack of technical finesse and dexterity um, it's something I've been addressing recently but the comping thing, it was great because I kind of went back to some original exercises that, that Dave Hassel gave me when I was, you know, 17, 18 and uh, revisited those exercises. Um, and it was great to sort of, you know, re-engage in a different way with this drum. And so when I come to play other snare drums now, I, they're so easy to play because they don't, you don't have to, 
you, you can hit them a bit harder and they make even they don't even make as much sound as the crav when you're hitting it very gently you know they're, they're, it's a remarkable drum it really it really is uh, it's a beautiful thing it's beautifully made signed by in 2009 it was actually made the signature inside it um and uh, he made three there was three of these custom shops the custom shops are interesting because they're, they're sort of made my my understanding might be wrong about this by the way i'm not normally am but my understanding is that they're they're um, they're taken from pieces of wood that are rare and then uh, are worked and and lots there are lots of failures because these you know these steam bends these shells you know they're all solid shells etc and they steam bend them and then um, and on, on on some occasions these custom shop ones he ends up with more than one or he ended up with more than one I should say because he's obviously no longer with us but um, and so you, you end up with this thing I think but the, the drum I've got there's three of them in the world uh, there's there's one in America I, I don't know what his name is but he, I've seen the snare drum on the YouTube video on some he's a classical snare drum player and it's, it's the identical drum it's the same wood it's the same inlay it's just everything, the hardware, the rims, everything is the same. And there's another one somewhere, no idea where it is. Um, but anyway, it's a beautiful drum. And um, so it's that thing of, uh, yeah, you know, kind of gear. I ended up, when I had these 14 snare drums, um, around that time, I, I started getting rid of them. Um, I mean, there's a few that I never played, there's a couple that I regret selling, you know. I'm still there's a 13 inch DW maple uh, snare which I um, which I sold to uh, uh, a friend of mine at the time, and um, yeah, I'm still trying to work out whether I can get that back, uh, whether he still has it, and whether he would sell it. Um, it was one of those ones where I said, if you ever want to sell it, let me know. You know, but people forget, don't they? That's happened many times to me. Um, but a lot of the other drums were just, they were really anonymous, you know, uh, or they were just very, very good drums, which just weren't as good as the Crav. I had a, I had a walnut, solid shell Gretsch walnut um, drum. It's a lovely drum, which I sold to uh, a colleague at work, someone I work with, his friend of mine, and he, he's loved that drum. And, and to be honest with you, I loved it when I owned it. It was just, once I bought the Craviotto, I was never going to really use it again, Um it was just going to sit in a drum case and do nothing. But uh, recently, I have acquired a few more snare drums. Um, I've got about I've got about five at the moment, uh, which is more than enough for me. Um, I generally like to have a collection of you know just different ones with different characters. So I've got a brass shell, which is a pearl thing, Sensitone, and it's uh, got some sort of vintage hoops on it and stuff it's quite a funky snare i bought it second hand and, and it needed a lot of reconditioning it was not in great shape when i bought it and obviously the heads were hideous and needed sorting out and it needed oiling and it needed a few other bits and bobs doing but it was once i got it sort of serviced and, and put some new snare wires on it and new heads it sounds very very nice uh and it's brass shell so it's quite interesting um i've got this sonar this uh it's a steel shell thing. It's like an 80s drum. It's only a f by five, I think it is. It might be five and a half or five. It's right in front of me, actually. Um, that I bought off a friend of mine. It's been sort of customised a bit, that drum, because it had some sh uh, shoddy kind of hardware on it. But the, the shell and the and the hoops 
fundamentally good. And it's a nice drum, that. I, I use that as a, it's a chuck in the back of the, the car snare, that. It goes in a case, and if I, if I need to... If I'm doing a gig somewhere and I need to leave the snare in the boot of the car all day, I don't like doing it with wooden snares because they get cold. But, uh, you know, steel, steel drum, just it's fine, isn't it? You know, it gets cold and it warms up instantly, like aluminium. Um... And then I've got my Black Beauty, which is a six and a half with the big die cast. That, that's a drum I use for uh, specific gigs and for recording. Um, it's a drum I'll never sell. Unless I got offered the same. A friend of mine, uh, he knows who he is, has got a the same drum, but it's a better version of the same drum. It's a f uh, phenomenal snare drum. Mine's a 2009 anniversary. Um, his is an 80s one, and it's uh, it's from America. It's a very, very, very nice snare drum. I did a lot of recording with that back in 2012. Um, but that drum, yeah, I would I would sell mine for that, but I wouldn't I wouldn't sell mine pretty much for anything else, you know. But if something came along like that, I would I would definitely. Um, be interested in it and then i've just got a couple of other ones that are just snares uh, one that i have a practice head on that's here in front of me which is uh, i think i mentioned it last week it was 23 quid or something and it's um i mean the snares work and stuff you can, it's got a practice head but you can still you know still still works but it's uh it's ultimately rubbish um so that's why i use it for practicing and it's it's something that I'll probably just I'll give it away probably at some point to somebody somebody who's got a, you know a child or somebody who wants to get into that I'll put a head on it and it, it's all right I serve it needed servicing again the, the catch needed a bit of work and but it was literally a twenty three pound drum you know the the person I bought it off um, yeah it was very cheap and it's a I think it's like a stage custom or something not sure anyway but symbol wise it's been getting a bit out of control. Um, so I've got a couple of symbols for sale anyway at the moment, which is good. They're, they're, they're things that I've not been using. And um, and I'm not that bothered about selling them, so they're sort of priced accordingly. Um, they're not being given away, you know. Um, but So, yeah, the gear thing's been a bit of a nightmare. I've been buying too many symbols. I bought lots of these. I, I really like these Istanbul alchemies, which they don't make anymore, I don't think. And they do the range, I think they do three ranges. I think they do rock. Uh, I, well, I don't know a lot about them now, but I think at the time initially there were there was medium and sweet, and I think there was a rock range, which I never was never into. And the mediums are not great either, not to my taste anyway. They're, 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 for, they're great for heavier sort of playing. But I did buy one recently. It's a nice, a 19. It's kind of like a ride, really, and but it's a crash, you know. But it's a 19, it's crash, but it's a medium one, so it's, it's a little bit heavier, and you can ride it, and it's good. But I, I managed to buy some replacements. So I had a 17, which cracked many, 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 many years ago. It had a small crack in it, and then it sort of, the crack revealed itself a bit more a couple of years ago, a couple of summers ago, and I was using that on a, on a, on a sort of heavy gig. And then um, I bought, I've just bought a replacement for that. I found another on eBay, 17, and it's lovely symbol. It's different, but it's nice. So, so the 17 that's cracked has been has been sort of drilled, and it has uh, some rivets in it. And I use it to, as a crash and as a hi hat. Um, and then I've just bought another 16. I bought a 19 and then uh, another 18. Um, 
So I really do like these, uh, the Alchemist. And I use them for like disco gigs, I, you know, for heavier sort of gigs. I use them for um, just for bigger rooms, you know. They're, they're nice with mallets as well. They're nice for sort of rolling on. And just the bigger the symbols, the better, really, you know. So I'll tend to go for the 19s and 18s and 17s, really. But I do have a 16 and 15. Uh, but I tend to, I don't tend to use them so much. And uh, and hi-hat-wise, I don't really only have um, three. I think I've got three pairs of hi-hats. Because again, I've got these 30th anniversary Istanbul 15s and I just use them for everything. And then uh, the, 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 there's certain gigs that they don't work on. I've got two pairs of these traditional mediums. So uh, the traditional medium hi-hats. One pair, I've got the normal bottom and the other one's got these um, this kind of flat bottom. Which I think I've mentioned them before anyway. But yeah, that's been the kind of thing of this week. Uh, more symbols more symbols um nightmare anyway the thing i was going to talk about today uh, if i actually finally get on with actually talking about something interesting as opposed to sort of rambling on about um gear um i want to talk about drum books um because it's uh it feels like a sort of topic because of the the, the phenomena of social media and, and youtube um I'm kind of intrigued about whether or not people are still that interested in books, you know. So I'm going to talk about some books that I've used today, um, but I'd be really interested if people had ideas about books that they use and maybe drop me a line. Um, you can find me drummy underscore Dave on Instagram or drummy D, D-R-U-M-M-I-E-D uh, at gmail.com. Um, if you wanted to drop me a line, just talk about books, really. Um, any books that you've used or you've found are really good. Uh, there's a few books that I used a lot when I was younger that I don't own anymore, and they're all classical snare drum books. There's one that I still have by this guy called Siegfried Fink. They're German um, snare drum books, and I've got a load of timpani books as well, which I've, um, which I was actually going to sell because uh, I've got a ton of them and I don't use I don't play I've not played Timps since 1990 I, I gave the Timps up when I left college and, and sort of turned my back on uh, classical percussion because I, I didn't want to I didn't want to pursue a clear a career in um, you know playing in orchestras and stuff and even though I was I, I was I was quite a good timpanist and I enjoyed playing the Timps um, I like Timps and snare drum obviously uh, and uh, clash cymbals piatti I enjoyed that because they were sort of like hi-hats um so i've still got the saul goodwin um timpani method book which is a great book for um practicing crossovers it's a book that actually john riley mentions because there's some there's some interesting crossover things in there and and of course when you're a timpanist you're learning to play crossovers point to point you're trying to hit the drum in the same place or the timp sorry the instrument in the same place across each timp. So there's a there's a there's a specific point for the right and left hand that's away from the rim, three and a half, three, three and a half inches, I think, or sort of six, seven centimeters or whatever it is. Um where the timp rings, you know, uh when it's a kind of optimum resonance. And you have to find that point on each instrument. 
So, you know, you've got, I used to play four timps, so you've got sort of four different sizes, and, and that point changed on each timp, not very, very much. But you used to practice, I used to play this kind of German technique, you know, the flat hand and three-finger damping system. All that was really interesting. I used to, I kind of quite liked all that stuff. It was uh, systematic, methodical, and I enjoyed that thing of, of doing crossovers accurately, you know. Uh, but the crossover thing, something I've sort of turned my back up uh, on, really, with, on playing with playing the kit. I tend to avoid it as much as I can. I do occasionally play um, with doing crossovers, but I generally like to hand lead and just kind of stay away from crossing over. Um, and and you and basically work out uh, bypassing crossovers by um, sticking things in a different way. So. But yeah, that's um, but I've yeah had all these other these other um, timpani books um, as well, and then there's this Seafree Fink snare drum book, which is just like a, it's called the Roll, and it has like snare drum sonatas and stuff, and it's the sort of thing that I used to use years ago um, when I used to play a lot of classical snare drum, and I definitely noticed at that time that my chops, my technique, was 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 very good. Um, and I think that, you know, it's something that I keep going back to. I, I did practice last summer. I was practicing quite a lot of things out of that book because I was feeling a real, like, um, like I'd really fallen off sort of technically where I was. Some of that thing was to do with the decision about how to play in the right hand. I've been sort of going through lots of, lots of different, um, sort of thought processes and approaches to how to play in the right hand um, and I've kind of still not really decided yet um, whether there's one way I'm going to play in the right hand you know and I just kind of ended up with um, either playing the fulcrum which is on the uh, the first joint of the forefinger so thumb and, and first, first joint of forefinger or the second joint of the forefinger and play more of a flat-handed German approach. And um, and then the other one is obviously this middle finger playing this triangular thing, um, which is like the free-stroke idea. I think Freddie Gruber talked about and lots and lots of people teach from that thing. And... Uh, and that's a nice way. But then the other one is the no fulcrum, like holding the stick as a, a good friend of mine, Steve Keogh, brilliant drummer who lives uh, over in uh, Valencia. He's a guy from uh, from Southern Ireland, a great jazz drummer, a great musician. Um, he has this thing about hold, just holding the stick as if you'd picked it up off the floor, you know, like picking up a piece of stick off the woodland floor, so to speak. And and there's something quite nice about that sort of loose thing in the hand when you're playing ride cymbal sometimes, no fulcrum, you know. Um, and you can play with dexterity. You can play with speed and control. It's just a matter of, 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 of working it out, you know, practising it, working it out a bit. Um, but all these things, they kind of challenge convention, don't they? Because, you know, it's like we decide how we're going to play and then we think, that, OK, I must do that. If I don't do that, then uh, it's not going to, I'm not going to get as good as I'm going to be or I'm going to end up doing too many different things. And, and my problem is I just, I like all four of those things in the right hand. 
you know I, I like playing thumbs up with with the first um, with the with the first joint in the forefinger I like playing I like playing like that which is the right hand um, which is flat-handed like German technique uh, and then there's the, the sort of this middle finger thing which is a, just has a different it's just it's all about different feels isn't it you know and then there's the middle thing uh, the sorry just holding the stick like it's a like it's a piece of wood off the floor you know with no fulcrum so it's just like literally gripping the piece of stick and the thumb is just not um not doing anything really so it's yeah it's all interesting but uh a lot of those things are not discussed in books, you know. And so you'll see the world where we live in these days is, is like YouTube is everywhere and, and social media is everywhere. And there's a million and one plus drum videos and people doing this, that and the other, playing this, that and the other, and advice here and this is how you do it there and this is the best way here and this is how to play fast here and this is how to play this chop here and this is that interesting sticking which is actually just a double paradiddle or something, you know. There's all these different things that people are kind of, you know, um, basically presenting as something interesting when actually they've been around for a long time. Um, and... I wonder whether people still use books. I was going to talk about some of the books that I own and that I've used over the years and that have been very helpful books and talk a little bit about why they've been helpful and talk a little bit about uh, how there are some common tweaks in these books. Uh, and I, I generally have this view that there's two things you do with books. One is you do the book. So you open you open the book stick control. Let's talk about stick because I always make this reference to stick control. You know, stick control is you get stick control. Here it is, stick control nine dollars. George Lawrence Stone, beautiful grey cover, the classic vibe that we all know and love. And um, then there's stick control. Uh, preface for the snare drummer. I've talked about this a little bit before. A word to the orchestral drummer. And likewise, a word to the rudimental drummer. So, so the orchestral drummer. Do not let the word rudimental frighten you, nor prevent you from putting in a normal amount of practice on power, high hand practice, etc., etc. And then the um, what he says to the rudimental drummer is: don't hesitate to devote a portion of your practice period to lightness and touch, which I always liked. And this is I've made reference to this I think two or three podcasts ago, just about when i was when i was studying stick control a bit and um i always felt like because of the classical study that i did when i was trying to assimilate that into the world of jazz because i was listening to jazz and practicing kit but practicing snare drum i always felt like i was doing both those things so when i sort of you know came to read sort of read this preface thing and how to practice stick control i was like I, that's what i sort of did and never read it at the time because the, the thing with stick control was a lot of drum teachers they tend to just basically photocopy page five six and seven and five six and seven i've made reference to this before as you'll know if you listen to the other podcasts are a collection of quavers eighth notes with stickings two bar loops to be practiced 20 times you know repeat each exercise 20 times george says and 20 times is great or two minutes is another good one there's this thing in brain science isn't there about that sort of neural learning and how you 
the amount of repetitive practice that you do that is optimal for learning something and getting it, playing it correctly at the right speed so that you understand it and know what it is and it becomes part of um, the way your brain works in relation to playing the drums or whatever it is you're doing, guitar or something. Um, but the interesting thing about stick control is you open the book and as you work through the book and as I look through it here, what happens very naturally as you go through page 12, 13, 14, 15, etc. When you get to 16, we're into 16th notes and 8th notes or quavers and semi-quavers. And, and he's introducing the flam beats. Now, the thing about what I would say to anybody who's studying stick control is these sections, I think, should all be practiced at the same tempo because they have a natural increase in tempo in, in because of the increment of subdivisions. So you go from quavers, eighth notes, to triplet quavers by page nine, uh, eight and nine. You start to introduce the triplets on page eight. So you go from da 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 now that's a natural increase in tempo, isn't it? Going from that subdivision to that next above subdivision is, is actually an increase in tempo. Uh, it's an increase in obviously in subdivision, but it's, it's naturally faster. So if you practice those like page five to 15 at the same speed, they're all a collection of quaver, eighth note, semi-quaver, 16th note, or triplet quaver, triplet eighth note, patterns with with specific stickings you know and so and it, again it's the, if you when you go through these flam exercises 16 17 18 19 20 21 etc 22 23 um up to page 23 again it's just like you just they're, they're quite complex patterns so i i would say and because you get into the um, there's some really really interesting flam variations and and stuff that um, that it gets into. Again, you just practice all that at the same speed. Um, you may return to those pages later once you got through the rest of the book. Um, but there's there's so many things in the book where so i'm just looking down looking through i've not looked at this book for quite a long time some great little exercises and things um but it's a it's a book that you can sort of basically practice in the first instance it at one tempo essentially and you do the book but the common thing with stick control when I was growing up and a lot of people I know who, who utilised stick control on kit, so they, they took things like, they took page five and they played it between the left hand and the right foot whilst playing time on the ride cymbal, for instance, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so a lot of people were doing this thing of like, they weren't doing the book, they were just utilising the material and I think that's, that's quite a common theme with drum books. It's something that I definitely did with stick control. There are some bits of stick control that I've never played because they just, I've just never got round to them. I was, I was really into the flam stuff and I was really into those first three pages that were just quaver sticking patterns and I utilise them in different ways. Um, but a less common book, which um, I, I don't know 
anybody else that owns this book. Uh, I was I was lucky enough to be um, when I was at school. I was taught by a guy called Graham Johns, who's a great classical percussionist who um, who um, introduced me to this book by a guy called Mitchell Peters, and it's called Developing Dexterity for Snare Drum. And this was like a stick control book. But the thing that I liked about this book was some of the pages. Um, let me find it here. Like page 16, you get these accent patterns. And they're just quavers, you know, like pages and pages of quavers with accents. And um, the thing I liked about them was they were quite... They were quite funky, syncopated accents. And then I just did things like um, the quaver strokes. Um, so I'll just like give you an example here. You know, like, um, like, just let me read one of these ones lower down the page. Like, okay. So it's just like a, that sounds like a sort of New Orleans rhythm, doesn't it? So it's just a straight quaver thing. So I'd practice that, I'd do it 20 times. Um, I used to do these things when I was at school. I used to do them for like half an hour each two-bar thing, you know, and it was a bit mad. Um, so, but I, there were certain ones I really liked, so I'd just practice certain ones for half an hour. So I used to do things like that. So all the in-between strokes, as you can hear there, uh, are double-stroked. The in-between strokes, the non-accented strokes. And this, I was doing this when I was, you know, like 15, sorry, 16, 17. Um, and, and I was just basically using these, there's about six pages in this book, which I was just really into. And then there was the flam, the pages with the flams, 20, um, even got here written on my um thing in my in handwriting from i must have been when i was my handwriting was still terrible then um it just says watch out at the top of the page so i'd very quickly worked out that they were really hard these patterns and uh some of them were things like you'd have a you'd have a paradiddle that was not just a flam paradiddle but it would be a flam on the first uh, on the on the single stick in the right left would have a flam so flam left and then it would be right right with a flam flam left flam right so right right and then it would be the reverse sticking with flam uh, left right left left with two flams in it so it was just loads of stuff like that you know which I'd never thought of before because you know you practice the rudiments so I've taught. Um, before about Chaz Wilcox and modern room metal swing solos for the advanced drummer and the, the rudiments in there. I, I don't want to go into that today because I've mentioned that on previous podcasts, but that was my rudimental Bible. You know, as I've mentioned, there's the past rudiments, there's the Vic Firth, there's, there's all sorts of different books that are the rudiment Bibles for different people. That was my rudiment Bible, but the dexterity book challenged a lot of that because it was essentially getting into this kind of sort of this world of not hybrid rudiments but it was it was saying oh you know you can put a flam there as well with that sticking uh and it you know there's all some of them are like flam taps obviously um so yeah the mitchell peters book developing dexterity if you can find a copy of it uh I, it's a book i'd recommend it's a book i would actually recommend 
Before Stick Control. Should I say that? That's a bit sacrilege. Um, Stick Control is a brilliant book. De Developing Dexterity, for me, is one of those books where um, I just like it more because it's got, it's got accent patterns in it that are quite funky. Um, that's the thing I like about it. Um, I think the I, I think you should do both books personally. You know they're great. I'm just going back to stick. I feel bad now for stick control. I'm sorry, George. It's great. It's a great book. Um. So I'm going to move on now. I'm getting getting um, emotional about stick control. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So another book I've mentioned before is this Time Awareness by Peter Erskine for all musicians. Um, go back to my podcast about time and stuff. I talk a bit about this book in that. It's a, I just recommend it. It's a great book. It's a great book if you're teaching. It's a great book if you're teaching ensemble studies, if you're teaching you know, rooms full of people and you're trying to get people to listen to each other, not just be in tune but be in time. You know, uh, it's a great book for that. There's some brilliant exercises in it. It's, it's a, there's a lot written in this book. You know, there's a lot of stuff to read. It's quite a nice read. And, um, yeah, it's really good. And there's lots of, you know, there's lots of different exercises that are for, for drummers and for um, and also sort of musical exercises. Uh, you know, it's, there's some there's some tunes. Is the CD with it. Everyone has CDs anymore. I don't know. Um, but it's got some stuff in there to practice along to. I'm not going to talk any more about it because I've talked about it before. Go back to my podcast on time and uh, metronome, etc. I'm pretty sure, if I remember rightly, it's in that one. Um, so another book I've mentioned before uh, is The Drummer's Complete Vocabulary, the Alan Dawson book by by John Ramsey, actually. But it's, uh, it's this great book again as a cd but it's the book that's got the rudiment ritual in it you know um and it's got some nice um it's got some really nice exercises and it's it's kind of another one of these similar kind of things to some of the other some of the other books that are around and but they all have a unique thing within them they all have like a you know a, a unique kind of approach but I'm just trying to find it now. Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's some nice, um, some nice sort of written exercises. Um, trying to, which you, you know, like specific, um, specific, like twelve bar phrases or eight bar phrases, which are which are nice to practice. And a lot of drum books don't actually have that. You know, they have everything seems to be two or one or two bar loops of things or maybe the four bar things some of the john riley stuff is is these exercises that are um they have a line of like four bar comping thing and they're, they're very nicely written um and they have some you know some really useful really useful things in them but um but yeah i'm just trying to i'm just looking through this book just to give a direct reference to what's considered as the kind of holy grail, you know, of um, for drums, you know, here it is. It's on pages. Uh, should know this actually. Where am I going back to now? So the rudiment ritual, um, page eleven. There you are. Yeah. So it's one of these things that uh, 
people take on to practice and uh, and it's hard you know it's uh, because it's played with brushes and it's also played with you know you're supposed to play it with like the tip of the brush you know you're not supposed to use the um, you know you don't use the kind of shaft of the brush to create the accents and uh, yeah it's something that um, I would recommend if you're going to if you're seriously getting into wanting to get into sort of you know, soloing and, and building up sort of stamina and concentration and focus and build up your brush playing and um, and work on coordinating ostinato patterns in your feet. The ritual's brilliant because it has all these triplet exercises which were over this kind of foot pattern, which is which are hard to get accurate, you know. Um, and it's long. It's a, it's a long thing. It's pages and pages and pages and pages. But, yeah, so it's one of those things that, you know, um, people work on and uh, becomes a bit of a sort of mission, you know. It becomes like a sort of... Because it, it's about sort of setting goals, isn't it? And you think, oh, I'm going to start... No, I'm going to start the rudiment ritual. And, and then that goal... The goal is to learn the ritual. But actually, within it, you may... You may only actually practice part of it because you just that one line or one section of it takes you down a rabbit hole. You know, it takes you down this kind of, oh, I've not done that one thing before. And then you might spend a month just working on uh, some of the ones with the drags, with the triplets over that foot pattern, you know. And that in itself is is not easy, you know. So... I think, again, it's one of those things where you do the book or you use the information in the book as something to sort of as a little nugget of thing to practice because all this stuff is kind of gold dust stuff as I think about it, you know. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to just talk about two more books that are kind of jazz-focused and then I'm going to talk about um, just just three other books which are quite interesting books which are maybe slightly more focused on on sort of general playing. But uh, one of the books that I've used a lot in practice and in teaching, and I know it's a book that's been used a lot by, um, by a lot of great teachers, and there's a real lineage to this book. And, it, and, it, and the reason why I'm talking about it now is because we've just been talking about Alan Dawson. And uh, this book is called, as you probably know, it's called Progressive Steps to Syncopation for the Modern Drummer by Ted Reed. Good old Ted. So um, there's a picture of him on the front with his sort of snare drum on a plinth and his left hand up above his head. And um, it's an extremely high snare drum. He looks very tall, Ted, if that is actually Ted himself. When who knows? But um, the book has been... Uh, I mean, it's there's there's all sorts of different approaches to this book, and and I use it in teaching to help students essentially learn to do um, as a fundamental thing two things. One is think about uh, how they're controlling the dynamic on a single surface with accompaniment in the feet, feathered bass drum and high on two and four. And 
when moving to another surface, which is, you know, a tom, so a floor tom or a high tom, uh, rack tom, whatever you want to call it. And so that's kind of one system. And then another another way I use it is 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 for as a lot of people do is for comping practice and, and there's lots of different stylistic takes you can you can have with that but I don't want to go into that too much now because it's quite boring really uh, especially when you know someone's listening to sort of listening to it and there's nothing else really to, to reference to but I'll just talk about a specific area of the book which is the the, the thing that seems to be most utilized by drummers and it's this thing um syncopation sets two and you have um they're they're these these 48 of them i think it's 48 if i remember rightly yeah 48 page 34 to 37 and they are things that you practice you can have time like that and they're these comping things Etc. Etc. So there, I'm playing it, playing time on the ride, and I'm playing this. So I'm playing it in the left hand, and then I'm doing it as a triplet solo. Now these things are written as straight quavers, and there's an important thing here in learning to read. Um, the thing that's great about reading these patterns is, is you go through a very, it's just one level of filtration or one level of, you're having to sort of look at something and read it in one way. It's written in straight quavers. It's, it's written as... So you effectively play it like that, ding, did, did, ding, very straight quaver. Now that gets us into when you practice things at fast tempo, these they come back to how they're written at fast tempos, interestingly enough. And some of the approaches that certainly I think Tony Williams took to these when, it, when Alan Dawson was, um, I think Alan Dawson sort of introduced him to these patterns and he, Tony Williams practiced them in a certain way. And certainly for up-tempo playing, they, they come back to how they are on the page. But when you're playing them at slower tempos and you're playing them tripletized, you know, they're written as straight quavers. So you've got this level of filtration. You've got to sort of read it and, and work out where these things lie in the beat. You know, they're not, you're not playing them exactly as they're written. And it's interesting when I'm teaching because there are some students that immediately get it. They just understand that logic immediately. And there are some that don't. Um, they all get it eventually, but it's just interesting. And it's always the students that are the better readers, that have a better theoretical background. They immediately understand the logic. Whereas the students that are not so great with reading and are used to learning more by ear, they find it harder, but they, they eventually get it. And then they realize it's something that they know by ear, you know. So it's kind of like closes the loop for them in that respect. But they're, but they're great, these exercises, because essentially they are helping you practice improvisation because they are, they're all uh, syncopated patterns. And then there's this thing, exercise one, two, et cetera, et cetera, and they're 40-bar, they're, they're strange-length things. 
um, which are all, uh, you know, these uh, collections of those syncopation patterns. So the most famous one is this exercise one, which is... So playing it as a triplet solo. Adding the doubles in, flams as well. Etc. etc. So that's just the first line. I've just played that round three different ways. And uh, so something that I get students to do, for instance, is to is to practice the lines of company exercise and then, and then play the line as like a mimic phrase on the snare drum in trip, tripletized. And it's just that thing of like thinking, oh, I can use my comping to create vocabulary, you know. And, and it's all in Ted's book, good old Ted. So lots and lots of people have studied syncopation. It's a great, it's a great book. Uh, there's some other uh, good stuff in it as well. There's some nice semi-quaver snare drum things, which are like um, earlier on through some sort of lesson 10 and through those pages. I practice those um, pages sometimes i play them in unison with the right foot um and it and it'll just be things like one two three except and then it'd probably be slower than that because i'll be playing the semi-quavers but it would be just doing a whole page of trying to get the right foot and the hands to be playing absolutely together you know um which is which is quite hard. Um, so there's 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 two the page twenty eight twenty nine. There's a forty bar and a forty eight bar exercise, and they're quite useful for that. Um, but again, it's another one of these books that's quite commonly used. Another book that I use, I don't have it with me. I don't even know where it is, which is a bit a bit weird. Is John Riley's The Art of Bot Drumming. I've got both books actually. I've got Beyond as well. Um, but that's a great book. A lot of people that I teach who come into studying at, at sort of a conservatoire level, you know, 18-plus-year-old HE students, they've all, the ones that have had, um, you know, good teachers and stuff, a lot of them arrive with that book under their arm, you know, and it's, uh, it's a really good book because it's got some great uh, systematic learning in it. It's got some great comping patterns in it. It's got some good guidance about sound and about balance of sound and all that kind of stuff. It's it's a really you know there's a reason why that book has sold a lot because it's 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 a well constructed, well thought out uh, job of work, you know. So, but I don't know where my copy of it is. It's disappeared somewhere. It uh, I thought it was buried on this shelf, but it's not. So um, yeah, it'll be around somewhere. Anyway, it's a great book. Uh, I particularly like some of those comping, those four-bar comping things where you're playing lots of different uh, patterns between the left hand and the right foot. They kind of link a little bit to syncopation, but the thing that syncopation doesn't deal with and, and John Riley's book does deal with is the middle triplet quaver. So the syncopation exercises never accent that middle triplet quaver just because of the nature of the fact that it, it, you know they're written straight quavers swung, so the middle triplet quaver is never accented. So that's a little bit of a hole there in the syncopation thing. And of course, you know, the middle triplet quaver is like really where it's at, isn't it? You know, it's just so hip and funky. Um, 
So that's some sort of the the, the kind of jazzy books. Um, I've mentioned in the in the brushes podcast about some brushes books. I don't want to talk about that too much today. But there's three books here which I've used a bit, uh, which are really good books that are sort of maybe good for sort of general things. And one of them is called Modern Reading Text in 4.4 by Louis Belson. Um, and it's just a great book for practising reading shapes, you know. And when I'm talking about reading shapes, it's that thing of when you learn to read a language, I'm talking in English now, um, when you learn to read a language, you know, the words, when we first start reading words, we're sort of, you know, we're saying each letter of the of the word almost and then constructing the word as a child, you know. And as we get older, um, we just recognise words and we just say them like I'm just speaking now and these words are all part of my brain and they're all part of things that I've learned and my experiences and I'm sharing them with you now down this microphone, etc., etc. And rhythmic shapes is exactly the same thing. You want to get to to the stage where you look at a page and you know what it sounds like, and uh, the thing that's great about modern reading text, these two and these are odd time signatures one as well, but I would just start with this if you're getting into reading, is it teaches you all the different ways that the same rhythmic shape can be written as well. So there's there's, there's obviously ways with rests, then there's ways with dotted stuff. You know, dotted, quaver, semi-quaver, dag, ga, etc. There's also stuff with ties. So ties are used a lot um, instead of rests because you, you want a longer sound. You don't want a rested sound. You want, but it's also it's just a quicker way sometimes of writing out phrases. A lot of jazz phrases have, have ties in them. You're playing comping phrases. So the book is great for that because it has all those different ways of stuff being written out. And as it gets later and later in the book, you get to the stuff that's so dense, it's so complex, and it's written with ties and with rests, and it's just really hard stuff to read, you know. But it's great, and it's great for sort of flexing that muscle in your brain, you know, exercising that part of the brain. I definitely recommend that as a book for reading. There's a book here that I've used um, quite a lot when I was learning to play Latin music, and it's by my old teacher, Dave Hassel. Now, I don't know whether this book is actually available to buy. I've just realised it might not be a book that anybody can... Yeah, might not be have a, even have a retailer. I love at the end of the book, it's just got good luck, exclamation mark, written, which is great. Good luck. Enjoy yourself. Um... This is a book that I know Dave used. Uh, it says, first published in 1994. Now, I've got a, another book that Dave gave me a long time ago, which is all of his teaching material in one book. And I know there's quite a lot of drummers out there in the kind of Manchester area or people that have been through Dave who have a copy of this. And it's brilliant. It's got, like, it's got all of his initial exercises written in it, you know, and they're all just on bits, different bits of paper. And it's great to see that kind of thing of... Of, of where the exercise came from. The book I've got in front of me here is um, is a publication. You know, it's actually something where he sat down and systematically worked out. It's, it's ring bound. It's printed out, and uh, it's this, it's a sort of step on from that initial thing where he was writing the exercises. Because I had some of these exercises when I went to him in 80, 1988, 87, 88, when I started having lessons with him. 
I had some of these written down on, I think I've still got them somewhere, on bits of paper, you know, especially some of the Cascada Clavi Tumbao stuff. Um, whereas in here, he's got all the stuff written out, you know, on different staves, different bass drum beats, song clave, bombo beating the bass drum, uh, all that kind of stuff, all these different bass drum patterns. So you've got this, um, yeah, it's great. So uh, it's it's a really good book. He, he's got two or three of these different different styles, but I don't know whether you can buy them. Maybe have a look around on the king of all places to buy books, which is seems to be Amazon these days. Seems to have everything. Um, yeah, but I'd recommend that book because it's because it's it's got good solid information in it, you know, and it's and it's and it's got lots of different styles, like Central American, the Latin style stuff, all the calypso stuff, and. All the kind of songo stuff and the mambo stuff. It's really good and it's all well written out. It's very, very easy to read. Uh, and then this this is my last book I want to talk about before I've just got some sort of closing thoughts. But it's a book um, called Four Way Coordination. Um, I'm not even sure how you say this guy's name, actually. Marvin Dahlgren, Dahlgren and Elliot Fine. Um, I think that's how you say it. It's an old book, um, first published in, does it say here? No, it doesn't. Uh, 60s? I think it's maybe from the 60s. Anyway, it's a book, four-way coordination. It's a horrific book in one respect because it's one of those books that you look at. And this sort of ties me into one of my concluding thoughts, which I was going to get into, and I've saved this book till last because of, I wanted to talk about one of the things that puts people off books um, and why you shouldn't be put off books, why you should try and sort of get beyond the initial bewilderment of how people inevitably have to write things out. You know, you've got to find a way of writing something down so that other people can understand it. And this is the funny thing about, like, The Sound of Brushes, the Ed Thigpen book. I've got it in front of me. The Sound of Brushes. The Sound of Brushes is full of horrific completely baffling diagrams it's i'm just looking at it now you know and i've talked about this in, in the brushes podcast i think a little bit you just you just go oh, i can't be bothered with that i just I'd just rather watch it on youtube you know or go and have a lesson with somebody you like and, and watch them play which is what a lot of my students do with me they ask me about brushes things they see me play and they say oh what are you doing you were doing a thing on that kind of groove thing or something which I have specific ways I play when kind of groove groovy music and straight music and bosses stuff and things and some stickings and some lateral motion things that I use and uh, they come to me when they come to me have lessons I just talk about that in the lesson and they a lot of them video me playing it in the lesson and then they'll go and practice it and that's great and that is an easier way but all that stuff is actually in the, the in the sound of brushes written as quite complex diagrams and it's the same with this four-way coordination but when you open it obviously it's four-way coordination and it has this thing where they've written it out on kind of it's on two staves but it's it's ultimately on four staves there's right hand left and right foot and left foot and so when you first start practicing it it's just like mind-bendingly numb uh, boring it just makes your brain completely numb because you're like I don't. Oh, I can't. I can't ever feel like I'm going to get into a vibe with this, you know. 
yeah, yeah, understand the information. I can play the pattern really slowly, but I just sort of feel like it, that each one of these things is is making my brain ache, you know. But actually, if you persist, you get beyond all that. And so a piece of advice, and that's why I've saved this book till last, because it's one of those books that a lot of people don't get into um, for for sort of practicing what, what people can call complete, they call complete independence. Um, I'm not a massive fan of that word because I don't really want anything to be independent on the kit. I want, again, I want things to sound like they are within one instrument. But actually, if you're playing a multi-percussion setup and you're playing things, you know, or a multi-kit setup with tambourines in the feet or foot snare, which is a common sort of fusion-y joke, you know, uh, somebody's foot snare or, a, you know, you're playing some kind of foot cowbell or something, um, you might actually want that thing to be outside the sound of the kit, you know. So this book is really good for developing that. It's um, it's, it's really well written. It's Again, it's it's got triplet exercise things and straight quaver exercise things, and it. it's mainly focused around those two subdivisions. It's, it's really, really good book. But it might it, you getting into it initially may put you off because you just open it and you just go, oh, my. I can't, I can't be bothered working that out, you know. But don't get put off by that, you know. Find, spend time working out how the I call them like the key. They call it the key, don't they? You know, or the legend, you know. Like you go to the front of the book and you work out what each one of the, uh, the things that describes which part of the kit you hit, for instance, the legend or the key. So if you spend time learning those. Things. It's just a shame there's not what a universal one. Everyone seems to have different systems, which is, uh, you know, but again, the, the, I suppose people are writing out their own book in the way that they need to write it out because it's that kind of systematic thing. Um, but the last thing I was going to say about books, and this is one of the most challenging things about books, and this is why I think it's always useful to make sure that you are having some kind of tuition with somebody that you that you like the way that they technically play you've got some sort of connection with their technique you know the way in which they 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 get around the instrument because a lot of books don't have the technical answer to these problems in them you know when i talk about the flam thing and talk about the double the connection between alternating flam swiss army triplet double stroke roll for instance you know, I don't see that kind of information written in books in that explicit way, in a kind of simple, systematic way, you know. And that's why I think uh, if you're going to do if you're going to do books, then, you know, just make sure that the technical side is being taken care of as well as the sort of conceptual side. Because a lot of things I've talked about today going through these books, a lot of things I do with books is, is I take information out of the book a pattern a sticking or whatever it is and then i do something interesting with it on the drum kit most of these aren't drum kit books most of these are snare drum or pattern books you know so you've got to find a way of getting them onto the instrument find them a way of sort of um, you know of making them relevant to the kit so yeah but there's also the technical side so make sure that you're taking care of the technique you know, because the technique is is the thing that's ultimately gonna gonna help you improve the fluidity of what you're doing, the speed, the sound, being able to access it in real time when you're playing. 
you know, that thing of processing time, you know, having good technique is all part of this kind of um, neural network learning, this plasticity learning, you know, making sure that, that these things are becoming just like natural things that you do, you know, the things that you just do, like, you know, you open a door, you walk down the street or you talk or you, whatever, you scratch, you scratch your head, you know. The, the accessing these patterns and things, if if you don't have good technique, you're always going to be accessing these things with bad technique. You know, you might be playing the pattern correctly, but you know, a lot of the time with technique, you end up with a ceiling on how slow you can play it and sound good, and how fast you can play it and sound good. You know, I think the sort of technique when it's not uh, well-rounded and well understood leads to kind of medium level of playing and medium level of speed you know that's kind of my my feeling on that um so anyway hopefully that's been kind of interesting but i'd be interested to hear from you if you listen to this drop me a line by the um the social media or the electronic mediums as described earlier drummy dave underscore it's, it's drummy double m i e by the way underscore dave on instagram um or um drummy d just so with the drummy but add the d uh, at gmail.com i do go on facebook a bit um dave walsh i don't really use it that much uh, i do cross posts from instagram sometimes uh, facebook is it's something I use more for, for work and things for my for my teaching job and stuff. I don't really go on there socially, but Instagram I'm on every day and I post stuff quite regularly. I'm posting less these days because I seem to get more engagement when I post uh, less videos. When I was posting every day, the engagement seemed to be going down and down. I've no idea how it works. It all feels like it's got nothing to do with your own activity it feels like somebody else is definitely pulling some puppet strings in the background about how people see your stuff or don't see your stuff i don't know i don't really understand it i don't really care to be honest with you um but what i've done is i just decided to to post videos of stuff uh, less frequently and more people seem to watch them and, and enjoy them which is great so the thing i do post every week is obviously a link to this um but I, I'm on there most days, um, mostly posting pictures of new symbols that I've just bought, which is terribly boring, but there you go. Um, so, yeah, drop me a line. Any other books that you're really into, I'd be really interested. I've just sent a load of books recently um, by a friend of mine uh, to look at um, digitally. So I've not got around to checking all of them out. There's some nice snare drum books, which I'm which I'm quite excited about. I've sort of decided to go iPad with um, go iPad with some of these books, which is kind of goes against my whole sort of. I, I, I like a book, you know, like a sort of physical book where you can open it, you can thumb through it, you can sort of carry it around with you and have a look at it away from the instrument. It just doesn't feel the same on an iPad, but. I've just uh, got access to a load of these books um, and they're all digital. So uh, I'm trying to save the planet a bit and not bother printing it all out. So I'll probably be yeah using them digitally, but um, but not had a chance to look through those yet, but that, uh, I may make reference to them again in the future. So 
anyway, thanks very much for listening again, if you have been. And um, I'll be back same time uh, next week. So uh, until then, bye for now. <laughs>